Father, thank you so much that uh, you are worthy of praise. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, Lord God, that you are good, that you are excellent, you are great. And I pray, Lord, that even as I speak today, that less of the focus will be on me and, and, and that we would, we would be in awe of you, Father. Lord, help us to orient our lives towards you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in our mixtape series. Uh, this is a series on the genres of psalms, right? Uh, lots of different styles of psalms. Or if you want to think of it as a, a mixtape, lots of different genres of music. R&B, rock, I don't know, blues, whatever it is, right? Um, and we're looking at this in terms of like the soundtracks that play in our lives, right? Like what what is the backing track for your life? What What... Do you meditate on day and night? What goes on, right? And we are trying to introduce, actually, a biblical soundtrack. We're trying to swap out some of the messages that the world gives us, some of the influences that we have that are outside, right? The algorithm that gives us the TikTok, YouTube feed, whatever it is. We're trying to swap some of those things out with a regular playlist of the Word of God. I know it sounds really radical for Christians, but it's actually essential, right? And that's what we did when we opened up this series with Psalms 1 that asks us to meditate day and night on the Word of God. It's intended to be a soundtrack that we play constantly, right? Um, and the Psalms are these godly soundtracks that have been specially curated and put into Scripture for us. Uh, I thought I'd open today's sermon. Uh, I, I'm kind of liking the style, so give me feedback if this is like the worst way to start a sermon. But um, I, I'm, instead of just doing a message on sounds, I'm, I'm keen to get you involved and thinking, if this is going to be the soundtrack of my life, uh, how do I incorporate this into my life? So I started my first sermon in the series with a question. I'm going to start it again with this. And I, I want us to maybe open up your phone and see if you can answer this question. How do you, what do you do to get the most out of life? Like, what, what tips and tricks? How, how do you, like, maximize your life. I'm sure everybody has some kind, you know, like our days are short. Everybody's busy, right? Like you're like, oh, got limited time, right? So what, what things do you do to get the, you know, the most out of life? Do you scour the internet for food deals so that you can get the discounted rice, you know? Uh, like what do you do to get the most out of life? And just write down one or two things, you know, even as I'm talking, It'll help you sort of engage with today's uh, sermon. Now, it, it just, and, and, you know, it's only you writing it for yourself. So give some thought as to, like, how do you, I, I wake up early and I plan my week ahead so that I can, you know, maximize it. Oh, man, I keep myself physically healthy so I can get the most out of life. So I, I do these push-ups every day or whatever. Like, what do you do to get the most out of the life that we have. How do you get as much as you can, experience as much as you can? Uh, 
I'll tell you about one answer that has come up, and I've noticed this in my own life, but I've also noticed this as I, you know, parent young adult children and, um, and chat with various other people of my generation, right? I, I've noticed actually that um, there's a tendency for us to want to speed things up. So I don't know how many of you have actually, like, have you ever watched any show or any YouTube video on two times speed? Listen to a podcast on one and a half times. Like one of the things that I do to get the most out of life is I just, I don't know, I watch the thing faster. In fact, I was talking to Alan, who happy birthday, Alan. He turns 50 today, you know. And he's like, man, I watch these series. And I, it's so good because I can watch at two times speed. I can watch, you know, like, I don't know, some superhero TV series. Two times speed, I can do something else at back, you know. And it's brilliant, you know. And I'm like, oh, wow, two times speed. I actually do something else. I do it faster. I was... Um, I actually have another technique. If it is one of these, like, what I would call procedurals, you know, one of these TV series, like, I don't know, Flash, Arrow, or whatever it is, that pretty much follows the same formula every week. It's just the same, you know, oh, introduce the, the issue, then there's the bad guy, then there's the problem, and then there's the resolution, right? Like, if it's pretty much the same, what I do is I watch the beginning. I skip to the middle, and then if I don't understand what's happening, I go back a little bit. But if I do understand what's happening, I skip to the end. <laughs> and then I just see how it gets resolved. And then I go to the next episode. And then there was this one time I was watching, I think it was like Supergirl, whatever it is, right? And in the time that Mayan took the shower, and she, she actually cautioned me. She said, I don't actually take that long to shower, but it's okay. In the actual time that it took my wife to get ready herself, then go to the shower, and then come out of the shower, and get, I don't know, whatever things happens, right? I watched an entire season. A whole season. I was like, okay, episode one, boom, in the middle. Okay, this is what's happening. Okay, and then, and then I, bam, bam. I know what. I know this, but I know this. And then there's like usually like an overarching, you know, there's an overarching mystery or problem for the whole series. So then I'm like, okay, what is that? What is that? How does that resolve? Bam, 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 bam. Get to the end. Boom. Okay, my wife is done with the shower. We're good. <laughs> one season down. But what do you do, right, to get the most out of life? Do you have YouTube playing in the background, you know, while you're doing your, your stuff, right? Like, have you noticed that if you try to speed things up or squish so many things into your life so that you're multitasking all over the place, everything's fast, you're going all over the place, have you noticed that it actually reduces the impact of the thing in your life, you're getting less enjoyment. When you go to a buffet, a time-limited buffet, and you get lobster, lobster, whatever. You know, like, after a while, like, that fifth piece of lobster, it's like, it tastes terrible, right? And then you, you think, oh man, am I actually getting the most out of life as I do this? So as we begin today's sermon, I want to ask you, how many today, in the answer to this question, wrote down praise? Praise is how you get the most out 
of life. It's the surprising power of praise. And that's what we're going to be talking a bit about today. And I know it sounds like a bit of a stretch right now at the beginning of the sermon, but hang with me. You see, human beings, we naturally praise. It's something that we do. It's normal, normal to tell people when something good happens to you. Like it's just, it's just normal when something great happens to you or you're very excited about your grandchild or your, you know, your, it, it's just a great show or a good food that you've had, whatever it is. It's just normal for us to tell others. It's normal to cheer when your team wins. Even children, kids naturally do it. Listen to the next time your very young kid tells you excitedly about something. It's part of the human life. You know, even social media has caught onto it. We live in a generation now where, you know, it's really magnified, right? We get value out of praising. Wow, that food was decorated so well. So I am going to take a photo of it and then, you know, post about it. Even if the food gets cold, it's okay because I'm going to sing praises for this meal that I'm going to have, how well it's been set out. You know, that sunset, oh man, it's golden out. It looks so beautiful. I can't help myself. I have to praise it. Or, wow, my baby's born, my grandkid's born, whatever, right? Like, these are just natural things. We normally praise. We are wired to praise. So I'm assuming that's understandable for every single person here. That at some point in your life, something really good has happened to you. And even if you're not an extrovert, even if you haven't blasted it out to the whole world, you're, as an introvert, you've told your wife, your husband, you've told somebody. Or even if you're so introverted, you haven't told you've internally praised. You've said, my goodness, this is so good. Wow, my, this is amazing. Even if you just said it to yourself, everybody knows what that feels like. Everybody knows what that feels like. So I'm going to take a little bit of a detour if I could. Just remember, today we're talking about praise. I've, I've asked, how do we get the most out of life? And I'm trying to suggest that one of the answers to that question is actually that we take time to praise. But we're going to take a bit of a detour if we could. In the New Testament, Jesus tells a parable about life, how we should live it, how we should maximize life, I guess. And this parable, uh, and there's many like it that talk about life that Jesus has, but this parable is found in Luke 12, 15. And Jesus says this, and he said to them, these are all the, the people that have been following him. Thousands of people have been like gathering around and going, following wherever he is, right? And he, he says to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Or the ESV says covetousness. Life, life, if you want to... If you want some wise saying about G, that Jesus says about life, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, in the 
maximizing how many YouTube videos can I watch? How much food can I eat? How many things can I have in my house? How many? The life does not consist. Life. You will not find life there. Okay? Jesus says this. And he introduces the concept. That, uh, that word greed or covetousness. Uh, pleonexia. Right? Uh, he introduces this concept and he says, we have to be on guard. Watch out. We have to guard against this. It's this word pleonexia, it means this insatiableness, this discontentment, like it's never enough. You know, like fear of missing out or you kiasu or you can't get enough of stuff. Whatever, whatever word you want, across generations, we've had multi-terms for this thing. So then it got me thinking, are we on guard against greed, right? Um, and the thing is, we usually, I mean, I can understand that we're not on guard against greed because most of us feel like we are not greedy, yeah? Um, and you don't guard against things that you don't feel are very threatening to your life. Like, you know, you go to Malaysia, you'll put like mosquito repellent on, you go to the beach, you might put sunscreen on because you think, right, and rightly so, that exposure to, you know, the, the ozone, whatever things, right, uh, may cause you cancer. And so you put sunscreen on to guard against the effects of sunscreen. But we don't put, I don't know, bear repellent on before we come to church because the chances of us being mauled by a bear is like zero, right? And so there's a whole bunch of things we just don't protect ourselves on. We don't guard ourselves uh, against. We don't put the mosquito repellent on in, in winter. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, this is why Jesus warns against it, is that maybe we don't have our guard up against greed. Because we're thinking, hey, it's not that bad a thing. I'm not that terrible but greed can rob you of your life life as Jesus describes it Jesus says very very clearly life is not just the sum of your possessions and at some level we all know this I don't have to tell you right like if somebody says to you give me your car or your life you're not gonna, oh man, car, oh, I really like my car. Okay, take my whole life instead. Like nobody, nobody really b believes that life is all your possessions. But pleonexia fools us. It tricks us into living as if it were your life. It creeps in. So then, if we succumb to it, we, we, we think, how do I get more out of life? How do I, how do I engage with life? Well, if I engage with life, I, I want to get more. I want to consume more. I want to do more. I want to see more. I want to fit in more. I feel like we need, as a family, we need more. And then, after all those things, then we have to protect the things that we've accumulated, right? So we're like, oh, I better protect the stuff that we have. And, and once this creeps in, we begin to think that this life exists for us. It's for me. 
there's a mindset. Greed slowly deceives us into a way of thinking, a way of approaching life that goes, hey, it's me. If, if I get more, if I benefit more, then my life is enriched. It is for my enjoyment, our enjoyment, my family, our family, our wealth, our health, our prosperity. So we maximize by accumulation, by consumption. And you know what? It's turbocharged today in our modern world. We can watch things at two times speed. We can eat fast food. We can get the food delivered to our house. We can order goods and they arrive the next day. And if we're not on our guard, we can become greedy without knowing it. So, in Luke 12, Jesus tells this very famous parable about a rich guy who stores more and more stuff. He has so much stuff, he can't keep it. So he tears everything down and he builds more barns and stores more of his stuff, right? And then when he dies, he has to answer to God. This is the parable that Jesus tells. It's very weird because Jesus tells this parable about the rich guy who's storing more and more stuff. He tells it to this audience of people that follow him and they're not rich. They're very poor. They're very poor. And so you might think, oh man, I'm so poor. Like, what, what's this going to do? And Jesus is trying to make this point. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whoever is listening to this greed can seep, creep into our lives. We have to be on guard against it. I think it affects all of us, no matter how much stuff we have. And so this parable, it ends with so is the one so you know like so you know here's the consequence of the whole thing so is the one who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich towards God and so let's just be really clear Jesus doesn't go from saying this in verse 21 he doesn't go from this into his sermon on tithing you know, or offering or, or giving God lots of money. Jesus doesn't go, he doesn't branch off. Rich towards God is not give God lots of things because God wants more possessions. It's not. He's not wired like that. He's wiser than us. We're going to see today what it really means to be rich towards God. To be the kind of person who understands that we have a lot to be grateful for. That the very breath we have is not to be taken for granted. That it has been given to us. We're going to learn to correctly view our life and the world. Not like a child who believes that everything is just exists for them. But as a mature person who understands that somebody worked hard so that we could have money. Someone made the food so that the child could eat. Someone sold into my life so that I am able to stand on things that other people have done and you know what these things they are wonderful it's wonderful that somebody looked after me when I was young I got my mom and dad over there it's wonderful that I got an opportunity to go and study overseas it's wonderful that these things have had it's wonderful that I have breath to breathe so anyway what has all this got to do with praise 
I think what happens is if we live our life without praise and we run around just taking things off a list, doing, uh, trying to accumulate as many things as you want. And, and, you know, we're all really busy. There's stuff to do. But if we skip the praise step, we miss out, actually. We end up living a pretty empty life. Um, I've been doing a lot of research. Last year, I spent a whole bunch of time, you know, reading through the Psalms, but reading commentaries about the Psalms and really soaking in to the uh, Psalms because we're doing that this year. I hope you're all on the Bible reading plan. You're all reading through Psalms, right? Um, but I, I came across this book by C.S. Lewis called Reflections on the Psalms. And he, my entire sermon actually is almost based on this one quote. Uh, which to me was so profound, I spent ages thinking about it. So I'm going to read through it really slowly. It goes like this. I think, because he's saying humans just praise. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. We, we, we love praising the things that we enjoy. Uh, not because the praise expresses. It's not just that we're just expressing. But praise completes the enjoyment. It rounds off the enjoyment of a thing. It is its appointed consummation or it is the finishing. It is the end. It is not out of compliment. It is not that I'm just trying to, you know, compliment my wife or, or say she looks beautiful, right? Uh, it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. No, 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 no. The delight that you actually have in your wife, the delight that you have, it is incomplete until it is expressed. And that means expressed, doesn't have to be expressed to the whole world. It doesn't have to be put on Facebook. It could be expressed to the person who's the closest to you. It could be expressed in your heart. You could, you could praise all by yourself. It could be, but it is not complete. You're not going to get the full enjoyment of a thing until you finish watching that episode or you finish eating that meal or you finish whatever the thing is and you go, man, that was good. My goodness. Amazing. And whether you say that out loud, whether you say it in your heart, it's this thing, that uh, this key that actually C.S. Lewis nailed it. He brings up this thing that praise. Why is praise so important for us? Because there is an element of if we take time to praise, we fully enjoy that meal. Instead of just wolfing down the meal and then you're off to the next thing, how much benefit did you get out of that? Not much, but if you take time and you think about that meal, you're like, oh man, that was pretty good. That was, that was, that was all right. That was only like $7, even better, you know, whatever it is, right? And you, it's almost as if it makes that experience better. This, this quote, I love it, encapsulates Lewis's insight into the nature of joy and praise, suggesting that praise is not just a response to what we enjoy, but a necessary part of fully experiencing that joy. And so his quote on psalms and praise is that praise, we are built to praise. We're built to fully enjoy and embrace the things that are praiseworthy. 
praise and thankfulness allow us to slow down and appreciate the things that we have. It allows us to experience more fully, completing our experience actually. It, it, it prevents us from just rushing around life, chasing more and more and more. So let's go to today's main passage where we will be introduced to the word praise or more specifically the word let us praise the Lord. We're going to go to the last psalm. We open with the first psalm and we're going to go to the last psalm, right? This is the, this is the psalm that has been carefully selected to bookend the book. It's the, it's the final song on the, the mixtape, right? And we're going to anchor around the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? So let's, let's look at it. This, this last psalm is pretty significant. Yeah. Um, you know, this uh, Psalm 150 is pretty awesome in Hebrew. So I, uh, I have the, the privilege, I guess, of being able to have read it in Hebrew, right? And it begins, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. It begins with the Hebrew word, you would not believe it. It begins with the Hebrew word, hallelujah. And it ends with the Hebrew word, hallelujah. And I'm, it just blows my mind. I don't even know how many ancient words have lasted that are not like proper nouns or names or names of cities or something like that. I don't know how many real ancient words have made it. They, the Bible transliterated it, right? That means the actual Hebrew word is hallelujah. It got transliterated into Greek, hallelujah, and then translated through Latin and various other things into English as hallelujah. Most other Hebrew words in our Old Testament have been like completely changed to English. They've not kept the, the Hebrew word. So, so you see the word hallelujah anywhere now, and you're literally saying the same sounds as somebody who lived maybe 3,000 years ago, thousands of years ago, whatever it is. The same sound. How important is it to praise the Lord? It's been something that has really been embedded into our life and culture. That word hallelujah comprises of three parts. Hallel means praise. Lu means us. So let us praise. And Yah is short for Yahweh, uh, which is the Lord. And let's read the psalm. Psalm 150. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Even praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. My goodness, this guy's like really leaning into this praise Him thing. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
That's how the Psalms ends. That's how this whole book, 150 Psalms, that's how it all ends. You know, usually throughout the Psalms, if you go through the Bible reading plan, throughout the Psalms, this call to praise, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, it's one part of a Psalm. So you'll read a Psalm, something happens, something's going on, right? And you'll go, oh, praise the Lord, oh, this is this. Never look, right? And so it's one part of it. But when you get to the end of the Psalms, the psalmist has dedicated an entire psalm. The whole entirety of this psalm is literally from its beginning to the end. Just as it ends the psalm, just as it ends the book of psalms, just as it ends the set of the five sections of psalms, right? It ends. The only point, actually the only point that's literally said in all of this is praise the Lord. It's just praise. In there's four things that, that come out of this. The first is where should Yahweh be praised? Where should the Lord be praised? Well, he should be praised in the things that are his. We should praise him in his sanctuary. And we should praise him in his mighty heavens. That means the things that are his, where he is. That's where we should praise him. Why? Why should Yahweh be praised? Well, he should be praised for, the, for what he has done and for who he is. Two things. Praise him for his mighty deeds. But also praise him according to his, who he is. According to his excellent greatness. How should Yahweh be praised? And then the psalmist goes, pretty much, in any way you can, with all the things that are used for worship. So then the psalmist goes, you know what? With the stuff that has been, with these instruments, with all these different instruments. He goes through so many instruments. He even gets all the way to the cymbals. And then he says, man, even if it's just loud crashing cymbals. That means he's trying to do this big spectrum of tools and equipment that have been created and used for worship. And he says, just praise God with that. And I want to suggest to you that we are a tool and equipment that has been created for worship. Even if you are the loud clashing symbol. <laughs> All of us, right? How should Yahweh be praised? Any way you can with all the things that are used for worship. And then lastly, who should praise Yahweh? Who should praise Yahweh? And this psalm ends, not just the psalm ends, the whole book of psalm ends with, let everything that has breath if you could vocalize, if you have breath, then praise the Lord. Then praise the Lord. You know, I like what one theologian said. This psalm grapples with the problem of worshiping hearts. And that problem is, how do we give God adequate praise? How? Can we give God, even if we praise Him in all that belongs to Him, in the sanctuary, in His heavens, even if we use symbols, trumpets, even if we are praising Him for who He is and all the things He has done, even if every single thing that has breath given praise, how? 
could we act, how could we even match the praise that is due the creator of everything that we have and can see? How, how? I like Walter Brueggemann who says, he observes this, that this psalm in particular is largely cut off from the experiential factors that give it life. It becomes an ideology which asks for assent without giving any reasons related to experience. I'll translate. The, these theologians, they use really big words. This theologian is saying, Walter Brueggemann, great theologian, he's saying that this psalm is separate from circumstances. This psalm asks us to praise God. And there's many psalms that praise around the circumstances. So you'll be reading through many psalms that talk about, oh, David's going through this, oh, I'm going through this, and then I, right? But the ending psalm, the ending resound is, it's cut off from experiential factors. It is, it asks for the praise of God without any reasons related to our personal circumstance. It's just a call to praise God for who he is and what he has done. Not just what he has done for me, what he has actually just done. Let me tell you why I love it so much. Because I think, firstly, it is important to praise. I'm going to let you in. So I, I don't know where you sit with God, and, and you know we're obviously going to be talking about praising God today. But uh, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about just even that disposition of praise in a world where we're just constantly consuming all kinds of things. We don't stop to actually celebrate or praise. It's, um, um, I'll make this a little bit personal because this is actually a personal secret of mine. One of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to be preaching today's message, um, there's something that I've been doing in my own personal life that I've seen good fruit come out of it. And I grew up here in this church, so I know there's many of you, you know me really well. The things I like, I really like them. And I got no problems talking about how much I like the things I like. But it's not everything. It's usually very limited. It's usually pretty set. Yep. Um, and so I've... And, and, so I've discovered actually, in, and this is just a personal thing, so this is not the Bible or anything, right? I, I've discovered actually that if I'm going to do something, it should be praiseworthy. And then, if it is praiseworthy, I should praise it. Even if I don't publicly praise it, I should internally praise it. It allows me to get the most out of whatever thing it is that I'm doing. You, you've, you've seen me be super enthusiastic about something, right? Like maybe it's Sophia's and the cheap pasta, which is so good. Maybe it's, you know, Disney and the, the new Paul Reddish Mickey Mouse cartoons, which is so funny, right? Like, but what I try to do is I go, is this really good? Yes. Yes, it is. Do I really like it? Yes. And then I lean into it. And then internally, I take the time to go, my goodness, this thing it is good. It is worth my time. It is fun. It is pretty good. And then it sets the, for me, and just, I'm just trying to explain how it works in, in my life, right? To me, it sets the standard for me. Because I know, so that let's say I'm really excited about Disney. You guys have seen me run around church, very excited about Disney, right? I know that Disney 
or Sophia's food or whatever other food is just food and entertainment. And I know I'm really excited about it. But in my head, I know, hey, it's not life. It's just entertainment. You're the computer game that I play. I've been playing the same game for 20 years, right? Like, hey, it's just a computer game. It's just food. It's just entertainment. But it sets the standard, right? Uh, and I use it as the low bar. And I say, then surely God must be more praiseworthy. Surely more of my time and energy, more of my actual resources. Surely, if I'm so excited about this, surely God will get more. So I raise the climate of the things I praise up. And then I go and God gets more. You see, I, the reason why I do that is because I, I actually... I. I've seen the effect of what happens when you dull everything down. When everything, you're, oh man, there's no good food in Melbourne. Oh, I can't do anything. Oh, nothing to watch on Netflix. A thousand shows, but I can't find anything. Ah, oh, whatever, right? And so then you don't, you don't praise anything. You don't actually take the time to enjoy the things that God has given you in life or whatever it is, and you're down there. And then God, sure, God gets a little bit better than that, but it's still like so mellow. And then you come to church. Oh, let's praise God. Yeah, praise God. Praise the, praise, the Lord, praise the Lord. Like, I have to praise God more than Disney. <laughs> I talk a lot about Disney. So my goodness, God has to like really be amped up. Let me give you a few examples of how it works in, in my life. I'll use FGA examples because, you know, I'm, I'm the senior pastor here, but I actually grew up in this church and I actually really, really like this church. Right? For, I actually think it's praise worthy some of the things that get done here you know i don't know if you know this but the 4 p.m service after this sunday from next sunday onwards the 4 p.m service is getting seven dollar meals yeah seven dollar dinner yeah the 4 p.m service cheaper than what you're gonna get for lunch after today right and it's getting $7 meals because a group of volunteers are going to roster themselves in and out every, for the, every week to cook. So I, I know it's tough to go out and have a family dinner or it's expensive for couples to go out and eat. But seriously now, two people can have dinner for $14 and that's like a large Big Mac meal. Like, and you're just getting salt and sugar, right? Like, it, for the Big Mac meal. You know, it, it's this thing... That FJ is doing, it's possible because people are coming in to cook as their service. We can only hit that price because we're not charging for labor. We're just in the kitchen cooking, right? It's possible because people are coming in to cook as their service to the kingdom of God. I think that's praiseworthy. It's great. You know, Alpha Courts is starting up. Right, you can register on the hub, right? They have gotten in like, I don't know, like five minutes or whatever, they've gotten home groups for every single week to volunteer to cook desserts for Alpha. Then we've got a whole bunch of volunteers that are giving up. In fact, almost all of Alpha sessions are run by non-paid staff. I don't think there's a single staff member that runs Alpha, right? 
And so these volunteers are they're giving up of their time to help explain the Bible and Christianity. All of them are volunteers. And I've literally seen people, and there's people sitting right here on, in this sanctuary whose lives have been given to God, whose lives have been changed because of what Alpha has done. I think that's praiseworthy. I think the people who are contributing to that and are doing that, they're doing an amazing job. That's fantastic. And you know what? There's so much more. I'm really pumped for our youth group this year. We, we bumped into them on Friday. They've got this massive team of really enthusiastic youth leaders, right? We've got the new kids ministry. The, like, there are things that are going on that are praiseworthy, and it is worthwhile for us to slow our lives down and go, my goodness, it's great that you guys are doing this. It's great that worship ministry are trying to compose new songs and they're meeting up and they're just working on, on like, it's great. But I meet people who sometimes life is so bland for them. Life, life. Like, my goodness. You know, entertain me, entertain me there. There's nothing good to watch. Thousands are like, oh, give me, give me. Like, my goodness, everything is average. Is that, a, is that a correct reflection of this amazing life that we have? I, I don't know. But if that's where you've pitched it, I want to introduce you to praise. Because if your praise radar is wrong, when it comes time to praise God, you're not going to do it justice. I don't think you're going to do it justice, to be really honest. You're going to like, praise God. Uh. <laughs> Psalms. Why I like the book of Psalms, especially as like a non-emotional, you know, Asian man, right? Like, why I like Psalms is Psalms will actually, if you will allow it, Psalms will stretch your emotional range. Psalms will take you to greater levels of intimacy and sharing with God. Psalms will pull, build muscles of how you praise God, how you process with God through lament, how you journey life to God. It will make you closer to God. And one of these ways is to elevate how you praise. So let's be clear. Today, we're focused on praise. And yes, I'm very personally excited about this topic. And I think how we praise and the things we praise is very, very important. But Psalms is not just all praise, right? We're not just some happy-go-lucky church, right? Like, it, we're going to do lament next week, right? Like, but we're talking about praise today. It's part of a balanced Psalm diet. But you know what? Even though there's many other things that go on in the book of Psalms, which we'll be reading about through the whole of this year, there is a reason why praise is at the end. Why it's the last psalm. It's the final word. Why? Because suffering is for a while. The things that we go through is for a while. At the end of the day, at the end of the Psalms, right at the end We've had breath to breathe. So let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It completes our life. Our very life can be savored. Our very experience of life can be enhanced 
by the praise of things that have breath. It makes us grateful for our life. It makes us grateful for our very breath even. It makes experience better. It consummates it, as C.S. Lewis says. The final word of your life should be praise. It's the correct disposition. What you praise is important. So I've talked about why it's important to praise, and you can praise literally anything. You can praise your food, whatever it is, right? But what you praise is important. And I've come this far in the sermon, and hopefully I've been able to persuade you that it's good to live a life of praise and thanksgiving, right? But what you end up praising is so crucial. I mean, we could make up a golden calf. We can make up various random things and just praise it, right? But surely we want to praise something that is true. Surely we want to praise something that is praiseworthy. And so that's why the psalmist, out of all the things that you could praise, and there's many things, you know, it's a song, right? You could sing about ex-boyfriends, I don't know, right? Like, you could write a song about anything. This guy, he's saying praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is praiseworthy. Uh, and maybe we can invite the worship team out. I'm just going to close right now. God is praiseworthy. This God who is at work in your life, He's praiseworthy. The things that God has done are praiseworthy. The things that God will do are praiseworthy. For He will return and He will make all things right and there will exist a new heaven and earth where there is no weeping. So the things that God will do will be praiseworthy. And even if you can't think of anything good in life at this moment, let me remind you that you are breathing and that God himself, outside of his deeds, God himself is exceedingly great. Rav Goodell is what Psalms 150 says. So how do you get the most out of life? How do you complete this life of breath that we have? I like what uh, John Mark Comer says, actually. And I know I'm quoting a lot of people today because I just read so many great books on the Psalms. But John Mark Comer, he says, you know what, if you want to actually get the most out of life, if you, if you really want to enrich your walk with God, you need to actually find the goodness of God, but not just a theoretical goodness of God. Not just, oh man, God, you're great. I know I've been taught to say that. You must find the goodness of God in your actual life. And that's not just saying, oh God, you've given me the promotion. God, thank you for the... No. In your actual life, whether you're going through suffering, in your actual life, even if the only thing that you can thank God for is your literal breath. The goodness of God in your life, even if the only thing is who God is. But somehow, the goodness of God must be like a soundtrack that plays 
in your life, like the Psalms, that will remind us to praise the Lord. You know, it's, uh, it's Chinese New Year, right? And so we're going to celebrate, but not as the world celebrates. I think it's, it's fitting to end today's service, to live a life that is full. You know, we're, we're, we're in celebration mode this Chinese New Year. And, and I know, you know, wish everybody wealth and prosperity, fantastic. But you know what? There's a lot to celebrate this New Year. And so I want us to end actually with um, a call to praise. And I want us, if we all could just stand up, it's, 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 I'm hoping that it'll be a bit of an exercise for us all, that we will have an orientation that praises God. If you want a one line for today's sermon, it is literally this, the last line before hallelujah in the book of Psalms. And it goes, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Sovereign, praise cause you reign, praise cause you rose and defeated the grave. Praise cause you're faithful, and praise cause you're true, praise cause there's nobody.